Now the reality is that if you have one very impactful content creator, it's, it's got to actually be bigger than content creation. You have to be a full, full, well-rounded marketing professional, which is the same thing as a business professional at this point. And being able to go in and do that is going to have a larger impact on any business than one individual rep. B2B Content Strategist is the podcast where you'll hear actionable advice and strategic guidance from content marketing leaders. I'm Amy Woods, CEO of Content 10X, and I sit down with leading B2B marketers to discuss how they overcome challenges with limited time and resources and execute winning campaigns time after time. If you want to improve and streamline your content marketing, keep listening. Hello and welcome to the second episode of season two of B2B Content Strategies podcast. I'm your host, Amy Woods, the founder of Content 10X. And in this episode, I speak to Chris Walker. Chris is the CEO of Refine Labs and the host of their hugely popular Revenue Vitals podcast. He leads a team that is challenging the current reality of B2B marketing and sales because his belief is that traditional organizational structure, division of responsibilities, and process for budgeting and planning is failing B2B companies. He and his team are building a new system for how B2B companies and revenue teams operate, including a new category of revenue professionals called Revenue R&D. And we're going to find out more about that. In this episode of B2B Content Strategists, Chris and I discuss Refine Labs, what they do, their marketing team, their content strategy, and more. We also look at how Chris got to where he is today when it comes to the rapid growth of his personal brand and his secrets to success on LinkedIn. We also talk about the biggest mistakes that Chris sees companies making when it comes to marketing, AI, and lots more. It's a fantastic conversation. I'm sure you are going to enjoy this. Let's jump in. Chris, welcome to B2B Content Strategist Podcast. Super pumped to be here. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to uh, sharing some insights and hopefully helping some people out. I am too. It's going to be a great conversation. I can feel it already. <laughs> to get started, Chris, in summary, could you explain your role and what Refine Labs does? Absolutely. Yeah. So I am the founder and CEO of a company called Refine Labs. Uh, I started the business in 2019. We're currently about 80 people and we help the world's leading software and B2B companies develop new revenue strategies about thinking differently about how buyers buy today. Some of the core foundations and concepts that we that we think about and use are that uh, the MQL model is very outdated, that we need to be looking at how buyers actually buy today, that um, dark social is real, that B2B buyers are researching discovery and evaluating products in tons of places that companies can't track with their traditional attribution methods and need a, alternative ways to measure, that creating demand and capturing demand are two distinctly different things. Um, I think we'll get a lot into demand creation today, given the the nature of your podcast and your audience. So I'm looking forward to sharing some of those those concepts. And then we're also developing technology. So this has been my plan from the beginning. The goal was to build a professional services organization that works with hundreds of high growth companies, uses all of the learnings that we get from that execution at scale to develop intellectual property, then convert that intellectual property into other types of products and software and automation that can help companies at a greater scale. 
um, really focused on three core things regarding B2B revenue strategies, changing your mindset about how marketing and sales should happen inside of B2B companies, then changing the measurement of how you measure and evaluate the success of these things and programs and departments. And then lastly, changing the execution, how based on how you change your mindset and the measurement, how does that impact execution overall? Um, I try to model the behaviors of what I think all of our customers and the market should be doing in terms of content. I've been doing it uh, probably the most consistently in B2B for the past four years. And so I think I've I've learned a lot. I'm happy to share some of the the parts of the journey, right? You were commenting on like my mic and my setup here, but four years ago, there was no studio. I recorded the first episode with AirPods. I was using the Apple webcam. Um, and when you're getting started on content, it's really about figuring out how do I create something that is valuable to people that people like. It's not about the production quality at the beginning. And honestly, like while we have a great studio here and I'm grateful for the team, like it's it really all, always comes down to what is the message? How am I delivering new insights that help people be better? And, and whether that it, it's advancing their professional life, advancing their personal life, having more success overall. Wow. Amazing. Amazing story. And it's incredible, the growth that you guys have had. So that's, that's great to hear. Um, you Thank mentioned you. team. So when it comes to your marketing team, so what does that look like? What what kind of roles do you have? How many people currently in the marketing function? So I think in total in the marketing function now, we probably have around six people. And I, I always break down the key like roles and functions that you need is you need the architect, you need the distributor, you need the subject matter expert, and you need the like the creator. Um, and so I'm happy to break down those four roles. We obviously have six, so multiple people are sort of filling those things as we've scaled up. Now we're operating inside of podcasts, live events, TikTok, LinkedIn, YouTube shorts. And so as you start to expand, you need um, multiple people to fill those key functions for different platforms or programs or channels. Um, and then when you break it down, we have two creators, which are like video editors, video producers. We have a content strategist. We have a, a team leader who is not me, Kaylee Edmondson, VP level. Um, and we have one director level person that's focused on distribution and analytics. And then I sort of, what. Well, while multiple people at my company can play this role, I sort of play the host. I play the subject matter expert. Some people will call it an evangelist. It's all sort of meaning the same thing. You need the person who's going to be out there hosting the live event, communicating the point of view, um, having authority and trust with the audience, publishing and distributing the content inside of their personal profiles across social platforms, answering questions and being parts of communities. And so that's a role that I continue to play. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I know you've got the the Revenue Vitals podcast, you've got your live streams, you already mentioned all video content, TikTok shorts, things like that. So, you know, it, it doesn't surprise me that there's a heavy content focus to the team that you just mentioned within the marketing function. Could we dig a bit more into that? So your overarching content strategy in terms of what are your current priorities when it comes to content at the moment? So if you think about them in two areas, you have content and then you have distribution. Um, I think there's many content managers or even heads of content that are mainly looking at the production of the information and not enough at the distribution. And in reality, the distribution is where you get all the insights and the feedback. 
you get the comments, you get the, the overall performance, you get um, how many people are sharing it. You get people that are asking you, sending you DMs, asking you questions about it, or asking if they could talk about whether you could consult for them. And if you're just building the content, and you're not, you're not focused or you're not involved in the distribution. You missed all those insights, which is a feedback loop to, Hey, what should we go out and create next? Um, and so when it comes to the overall strategy, our, our strategy is through the execution with more than 200 companies over the past three and a half, four years, we get tons of insights that other companies don't see because we see it from a different level. I see it from looking at Salesforce instances of, you know, 50 companies simultaneously, perhaps, and being able to look at that and notice trends, see what companies are doing well and what's working, see what companies continuously struggle with or where the common places where people screw up. And then being able to use that lens that I have, which is very, very broad and very unique, and then be able to synthesize that information, distribute it to people and say, here's what's happening. Not only here's what's happening, but also here's why it's happening. And here's what you can do about it, or here is a solution. Um, and so our content strategy is focused on at the moment, way more data driven. So all most of the things that we support have data backed insights as to why you should think about it this way. Um, it is focused on being actionable. People should be able to listen to the content and be able to take something away from that and go and do something with it in their business that day. Um, additionally, we use live events and pod, uh, podcasts like the one that we're doing right now as the main creation source of the information. So um, we do these events, then those events become a long form audio podcast, a long form video on YouTube, then our creators will then go and break that down. It'll be videos for LinkedIn, it'll be diagrams and pictures on LinkedIn, We'll pull the slides that we presented at the event, and that could be a slide deck on LinkedIn. Uh, becomes clips and that we run in short form for both uh, YouTube shorts and TikTok. Um, and so it becomes one P and I almost look at it like one big program, right? So it's like you have a, tons of different distribution that's happening. But the effort that I put in at the beginning is just it's constant. And then you can just sort of break down and continue to distribute from there. We uh, we're not heavy on website based content. So things like uh, writing blogs or putting transcripts of videos on websites. I'm not here to tell you not to do that. That's just not part of our strategy right now because the core belief is that a majority of the discovery, the demand creation that's happening is happening outside of SEO, SEM, and, and people getting to your website. So we prefer to have that distribution and that type of action happen in social where there's far more scale, there's far more sharing, there's far more... Uh, sort of like algorithmic distribution. So that's the the strategy and how we think about what should people take away? What are the, the mediums and the forcing functions that we use in order to create the, the content to begin with? And then what is sort of like our editing or downstream mechanism to get that content into smaller formats to distribute on, on platforms? The key being that maybe on YouTube shorts or reels and TikTok, you could sort of like have the same piece of content go across three platforms with the difference between a podcast a LinkedIn post and a TikTok post need to be framed differently with the copy that you write and how long it is, the length of the video, the formatting of the video, how you think about the editing. Um, and so like native content distribution across core popular social platforms are a uh, majority of the focus right now. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely music to my ears because that's, you know, what we do as a business and have been doing for over five nearly six years now repurposing content breaking down live streams and podcasts and events and webinars and all of that and exactly 
as you said, completely platform specific and uh, with a strategy in place for the distribution. So it's music to my ears. There's lots that you do then. So is there anything that you have done to really streamline and optimize those recurring processes that you obviously have with the content creation? So I'm going to go in a different direction here just because it's top of mind for me. And I think that, uh, well, like how you edit the video and you can make, you know, six videos a day instead of four videos a day might be valuable to some people. But the reality is that in B2B companies, organic content strategies break down for different reasons than like operational processes. It breaks down due to lack of measurement or being able to, to uh, effectively attribute ROI or impact. It breaks down due to not having someone that's truly a subject matter expert or has authority with buyers that's going to be out there and operate. So then it gets, you know, it gets delegated down to like an SEO manager trying to write content for a CFO. It breaks down due to lack of consistency. Doing one podcast a month isn't going to get you there. Um, and overall, those things add up to just a, a misalignment between the way that the company decides to operate and go to market versus how their customer wants to consume information, research, learn, and purchase. Um, and so I noticed, I started noticing this early on. I actually, like, I didn't, I didn't come into the, the professional world and be like, yay, I'm going to be a marketer. I actually, I studied engineering. I did not think that I started as a business management consultant in places like operations, supply chain, product development for the first four years of my career. And then what I noticed during those periods of time, I had moved around from business to business every six to 12 months, solving an important key business problem. And what I noticed that business after business is that they, they still are operating where marketing isn't being invested in. Marketing is just sort of like over here in the corner playing arts and crafts. And the sales team is continuing to struggle year over year because of the way that buyers are changing. Buyers now want to research, discover, and do things on their own. They trust their peers and information on the internet a lot more than they trust a sales professional. They'll opt in for self-service or e-commerce if the option is available. And so these trends were, were, I started to see them in 2014 and I effectively just bet my career on it. And I said, okay, there's a huge gap here. Buyers are changing. Companies aren't, B2B companies are not moving on it. I know that in 2014, I'm going to go into marketing and make 75K a year and get shit on by people in the sales team. And the people in the sales team are going to, or people, sales leaders, CEO are going to come over to me and say, why the hell are you in, why the hell are you doing marketing? Why don't we put you in the, you know, Philadelphia sales territory and you'll make 150, 200K a year and you'll make so much more money. And the reason is because I saw where the world was going and yeah. it took a while for the people that were telling me to be a sales professional to catch up to where the, where the world was actually going and recognize it. And now that's starting to happen. Now CEOs and sales leaders are realizing, hey, they're like the problem isn't that our sales team isn't effective. It's that we're not creating demand and we need to do effective demand creation and marketing overall. And so just being able to sort of see where things were going allowed me to predict where, where it was going to be and then have the patience and time to spend, what was that, 2014 to 2019, five years being underpaid, underappreciated, undervalued, being looked down on by the sales team and QBRs and meetings like that, despite the impact that was being made to then have it actually come to fruition in what I saw. And now the reality is that if you have one very impactful content creator, it's, it's got to actually be bigger than content creation. You have to be a full, full, well-rounded 
marketing professional, which is the same thing as a business professional at this point. And being able to go in and do that is going to have a larger impact on any business than one individual rep. And so um, that's, that, that's like more, I don't even know how I got there based on your question, but that's like, uh, that's where I think companies need really need to get to and understand is that the impact of the growth trajectory from doing some of these things right is would change the full trajectory of your company and change how you have to scale sales and how you can go to market for the rest of the the time if you can get it right. We've now have our podcast gets, I think has over 50,000 subscribers is get gets more than a million listens per year. I get more than a million views on LinkedIn every week from target customers. And it's just that it's like the same. I tell people this a lot. And I think it's a really good way to think about it on LinkedIn. It's like, if you if your CEO could go to a conference and pay $50,000 to sponsor that conference, so they can spend, you know, 30 minutes talking to 100 people in a room. And then why wouldn't you go on to LinkedIn, build an audience, then you can talk to a 100,000 people in a room every single day and not have to wait for the conference and you don't need to pay for it except for the content creation. And so it's just interesting how there are so many parallels between what old, not the right word, but like you get what I'm saying. CEOs look at um, the how they do things in an analog world, go to conferences, do you know sales meetings, go visit a big customer versus what you could you could do the exact same activities and impact in a digital world, posting on LinkedIn, hosting live events and roundtables. Um, you know, those types of activities. And so it's just a, it's a switch. It's a switch that like, as the digital world continues to accelerate, which has happened, it's been happening for more than two decades now, but it's really accelerated since the pandemic in 2020, that a majority of the buying power is starting to shift to people that buy primarily digitally first, not analog first. And so we need to adjust how we think about go to market overall. This is much bigger than content content just becomes one of the one of the pieces of fuel to get there. I'm curious to know, um, what are your thoughts on AI? So obviously there's a whole load of chat at the moment about chat GPT and that's all blowing up. What are your views on that, on AI, especially in the content creation space, I guess? AI will help people regurgitate information that is already out there. And so I think this is actually a brilliant thing for the content creation space overall, but not for the reason that people are going to think. It's not because, oh, we can go and use this thing and write blogs about stuff that already exists. And over time, Google's going to derank stuff that's written this way. And we're going to get hit on our SEO for cheating and putting out information that people don't need that could get on their own in a bunch of different places. But instead, it highlights to content consumers that what really matters is people that bring data and non-obvious insights to the table that actually help them. And the some of the things that you see on LinkedIn, like I consistently challenge what LinkedIn is doing on their platform because what they should be prioritizing in the algorithm is people that bring data, people that bring new insights, and people that bring actionable activities. And what they what the algorithm actually prioritizes today is people that post fluffy content, screenshots of tweets memes and use engagement pods to pump up engagement of their fluffy posts. Um, and so like the over time, the platforms will adjust to this reality because people are just going to go in there, say, Hey, write me a post, post it the same per like another person is going to do the same thing. And it's going to become a platform full of junk. And they're going to lose a lot of attention and users because of this. 
And so eventually platforms will catch up to the idea that, um, that what actually matters is people that have creative new ideas and AI is nowhere close to creating creative new ideas. It's basically just a way to go out and find existing information. So um, that's where I'm at at it right now. Things could change, but I don't expect them to change dramatically over the next three to five years, probably in the five to 15 year window, we might see some different things. But um, the human brain is an amazing thing. It's very powerful, specifically on creativity. And there's a huge difference between regurgitating information and then drawing new insights using your brain from that information. And drawing the new insights is where things are, where content creators will be rewarded moving forward. And so I think it will. I love like a platform like TikTok right now because the barrier to entry to create content is so much higher than regurgitating a text post or copying and pasting one of my posts and putting on LinkedIn, which you can, which people do. Yeah. So the barrier to entry in the content creation of a reel or of a TikTok po a video post or something like that is higher. And I think oh, and podcasts are also barrier to entry is way higher than writing a blog or write, written post. And so I hope that over time, the barrier to entry of strong content continues to get higher, which means that only the best people win completely agree with you. <laughs> I was interested in what you were saying about LinkedIn and you've had significant growth on LinkedIn from a personal brand, personal profile perspective. I know that's run alongside Refine Labs. I would love to know when did you start taking it seriously? I'm sure we all started off by just putting our job on there and occasionally looking at it to see when someone we know has moved into <laughs> positions or just snooping on someone's career. But when did you move on to take LinkedIn seriously as a content platform and what do you think the steps that you made would be different to others in terms of how you really have managed to grow and succeed on that platform? Yeah. So I imagine that I made a, my LinkedIn account in like 2009, maybe my freshman, sophomore year of college. Um, I started being a content consumer on the platform and probably 2017, I started tasting comments, posting every once in a while in early 2019. And I started taking it seriously on August 9th, 2019. Um, so I remember the date, it fundamentally changed my life. It like, and I knew right then, you sort of just get this feeling of like, hey, like, this is something that's really important. I had the exact same feeling with Facebook ads in 2015 ran a couple of Facebook ads. I was up at 10 in the morning. I was getting people onto our website, reading a clinical trial for the company I worked for. Target customers at Target accounts onto our website for two and a half cents. And I had that wow. feeling on Facebook ads. And then Facebook ads dramatically accelerated my career over the next five years while other people were running display ads and doing SEO. That Facebook includes Instagram and other platforms like that. I had the exact same feeling on LinkedIn on August 9th, 2019. You just have, you, you get the intuition. Other people don't feel it. Other people were like, what are you doing on LinkedIn? You should just start hiring SDRs. You need to send outbound emails. You need to do SEO. Um, and I just have the the intuition and the conviction that I'm, I'm ahead of what other people are recommending in terms of advice, because I just look at what buyers are doing, not what other people are writing blogs about doing or what people did successfully five or 10 years ago. And so that's when I started to take it seriously. What it, And I want to be real clear about what take it seriously means from August 9th, 2019 for at least the next two years. It meant posting content every single day, seven days a week, including weekends. At that point, people were telling people, the 
the mass recommendation was only post on LinkedIn Monday through Friday. Nobody uses the platform on weekends. And then for like two months in a row, I would post every Saturday. And when I hit the post button, I knew it was going to get more than a million impressions because no one else posted on Saturday and everyone else used it. So there was no content, tons of eyeballs and my stuff just got, it would, I would ride a wave of the post would get engagement and likes for three weeks. Um, and so it was a, it was a, it was a different platform back then. And it, there's been a lot more people creating content now. It's a whole different game four years later, but the consistency to post where sometimes I had writer's block and I had to sit there for two or three hours to get the post out and was so committed to making it happen that that's what I did. And I just recognized that most people will, won't, won't do the things that I did in order to have the success that I've been able to have. Um, so posting every single day evolving in both my message, but also evolving in the mediums. So I went from text posts and then I started doing audiograms and then I started doing video posts. And then the video posts had evolved from being like me in a room, just talking to recorded live events through zoom to high quality HD videos to um, like vlogs and other style formats to now me using some TikTok style, like screenshot overlay videos to communicate so evolving in the medium over time as well. Um, and so, yeah, once you I, once you have that signal and you're like, wow, this is something that's really, and I, I don't know, it's because it's just me, but maybe some people don't have this feeling. Maybe some people, I just have a really strong intuition. Um, but if you can get that feeling, then you, you gotta, you gotta go that hard. If you, if, it's not, especially for me, it might be a little different than like a content manager at a B2B company because, but I was working this hard when I was a, con a marketing manager at a B2B company. But for me at that point, it wasn't just about how am I going to make my company money? It was how am I going to change my professional and personal life? Um, how am I going to build my company, which right now it's just me. I'm a one person consultant and I have four customers to what we have today, three and a half, four years later. Um, the talent that I've been able to acquire has been driven through the content on LinkedIn podcasts and events, the customers, a, a lot of customers still, still did come and still come through the content that we post, um, a lot of speaking opportunities and other earned media opportunities come directly from these couple of channels and programs. Um, my overall, like, so feels nice. Sometimes I go out in Austin, Texas, and I'm like having dinner and someone that I, that no will buy me a bottle of wine or someone will come up and say hi, which is just nice and makes me feel good. Some people say that I've changed their career or changed their life, which again, makes me feel good. Um, and so, yeah, I, that's, uh, that's how I got started on LinkedIn and then have a, a formula that I have called stacking growth, which is basically start with one channel or program, make it work real, real good and consistently, then figure out what the next thing is, make it real, real good and consistent. So it was LinkedIn. Then it was uh, live events through Zoom. Then it was converting those live events into a podcast. Then it was moving into YouTube. Then it was earlier this year, or even late 2022 was uh, TikTok. We've just continued to build on that. So while not abandoning the things that have already got us here, so remaining consistent on the uh, podcast and other platforms at the same time. And that's where expanding the team comes in, like expanding the team based on results just a super quick break from this conversation to let you know that if you're a b2b technology or professional services company and you want help with streamlining your content operations 
outsourcing your content repurposing is the number one way to produce more high quality content and boost your ROI without putting any more pressure on your team. In fact, it could save your team up to 30 hours per week. We offer content repurposing services for video and audio content. Whether you have a show or you're launching a brand new one, maybe you have an archive of awesome content, be it webinars or a virtual event, or you want help creating thought leadership content that we can repurpose, we've got you covered. Head to content10x.com to see how we can help you and start increasing your efficiency and the value you get from your content. Now back to the conversation. Considerable amount of hard work and consistency and evolving and what got you here won't get you there mentality as well. So it, it reminds me, you know, gym analogy of when you see somebody in incredible shape, people don't always realize just the amount of hard work and consistency and also just you know like change of lifestyle overall that people have to commit to to get in that shape and actually that that leads me on to a good segue when mentioning the gym so I saw a LinkedIn post that you put out the other day you were talking about measuring the ROI of individual pieces of content and you likened it to if somebody does one bicep curl in the gym and then likens the ROI of a bicep curl to the, the overall ROI of going to the gym and trying to get in shape um, could you discuss that a little bit more? So I guess your feelings towards measuring individual pieces of content, which clearly are, that's not the way to go. And what should you do instead? Yeah, the the analogy is that somebody that's been going to the gym consistently for five years and is in great shape isn't going to go back and say, the reason that I'm in great shape is because of that one bicep curl I did three months ago. It's the yeah. accumulation of all of it that actually drives the, the impact and the results. Um, because of how digital and software-based attribution had started and the, the quote-unquote promise of it based on website content, not social or dark social content, that you should be able to look at what blog someone went to and then be able to attribute some influenced result against that breaks down completely inside of dark social. There are no touch points. You're not getting direct clicks. People are consuming things in the feed. They're sharing it, these types of information and posts inside of dark channels like communities, Slack instances, email, word of mouth, uh, text messages, WhatsApp, other places like that that are never going to get tracked in that way. And so trying to, trying to say, and then another thing is like when people come and want to work with us, like I ask them. What piece, of what piece of content drove you to get here? And they say, oh, I've been listening to your podcast for the past two and a half years, and I've been sharing the LinkedIn content with your team, and now is just the right time for us to work together. Very few people are going to attribute that to one individual post. It's actually the overall accumulation, which is why it's important to have consistent output to be creating content, not just repurposing content all the time, but actually to have new ideas and new insights happening that are relevant to that exact period of time. Um, and so that's, that's kind of where, where we're at there. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of marketing at Refine Labs, obviously we talked about the team that you have and the different roles within that and the, the focus predominantly on content. What do you tend to outsource from a marketing perspective? Certain things that you just prefer to keep, um, outsource with external expertise rather than keep in house. So I think based on your company's stage and maturity and internal capabilities, that there's a lot of 
operational processes that can be outsourced if you want. Um, the thing that you can't outsource is the ideas, the point of view, the event, the evangelist. So, and then you ho hopefully want to host the events. You want to own the community, things like that. Um, we personally, like at our company, we outsource podcast audio editing to a firm called Hatch. Um, aside from that, we do all of the video in-house because actually like being able to understand what I'm saying and write the right headline for a video on LinkedIn or being able to understand my perspective and my audience and being able to write the right headline or hook or clip it in the right places for a TikTok video to drive the most, you know, people that are going to stop and actually consume is actually quite a skill. And so the, the, uh, the video editing, we continue to have happen inside of our company. And the only thing that we outsource that's major in terms of content creation is the audio editing for the podcast. Do you do anything from an SEO perspective? Um, SEO is something that we're con continuously sort of exploring and thinking about, predominantly thinking about how are we going to do it differently to make it work for us and how are we going to think different versus like high volume or link building or like what is what's actually unique about how we've been able to create so much demand in these places that what's the strategy when we have that thing that most companies don't have on that side to actually capture demand inside of SEO in a unique way. A majority of that happens right now through branded search. We don't actually have to do much. People search Refine Labs, they come to our website and they ask for a demo or a consultation or a call or something like that. And so um, to this point, branded search is how we get it done and almost no effort needed there because if you create the demand, it's actually very simple to capture it. So um, that's the strategy up to this point. We continue to sort of like formulate how or what tests are we going to run and how are we going to think differently about this to sort of break the mold of what SEO looks like right now. But the key insight that we continue to sort of have is that uh, creating demand is the gap for companies, not capturing it. Um, and something needs to happen before someone goes to Google. And you want to be the trigger and the source of why someone actually goes to Google to explore a solution or solve a business problem. And the way that you get that done is through dark social, whether that's communities, word of mouth, content distribution, paid content distribution, earned media, PR, places that a lot of companies don't invest in uh, based on the sort of like digital touchpoint uh, limited attribution systems that they use. Brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> um, is there a typically overlooked or undervalued tool that you would recommend to marketers? Um, I wouldn't say that uh, it's a tool. A lot of people ask me this question. We actually use almost no tools to produce content or to uh, do marketing overall and sales overall. And so I think that... Uh, tools for a majority of companies, they overinvest in tools, they spend way more time trying to implement a tool than understanding customers, they think that the tool is going to fix a bad strategy or a bad product. Um, they spend way too much money on tools overall, and not enough money on actual programs. I saw a stat 26% of marketing budgets are spent on technology, which is totally ridiculous. The only thing greater than that is headcount. Um, and so like, there's some issues there. 
but the, so I'll go in a different direction of like, what are the things that are actually most valuable for a marketer? Number one is customer insights, actually going out and not just customers that pay you, but customers that haven't paid you. How do they want to buy? Who are the people that they trust? What channels do they consume information and do research on? What events are they going to? Um, do they post content? If so, are you able to engage and start conversations there? Not about your product, but about the space and help them. Um, I think that those, those are huge. And then I think that uh, recurring live events, which I'll be doing one of my own in 22 minutes. So I, I do what I say and do what I recommend are, are a huge driver to be able to get out there and create content on a recurring basis as a forcing function to be able to get direct live qualitative feedback from an audience about a perspective or a topic that you're covering, which will then drive future content strategy to look at the chat log of the 150 or 200 people and what they're talking about and what they're commenting on there and be able to get those insights. Um, and so those are, those are some of the things that I think are actually valuable when it comes to content creation and marketing today. Are there tools out there that are application specific that can do something important? Yes. But the key is that a tool is going to help something work better, but it's not going to take something that doesn't work and make it work. <laughs> yeah, completely agree. <laughs> um, I know where you're, you're soon to go on your live stream, as you said, so I, uh, I need to give you a bit of space for that. So one final question. So on B2B content strategists, it's all about speaking to true leaders in the B2B world, as like yourself, basically, and specifically B2B tech world. Who do you think we should invite? So who jumps out to you as somebody that fits that? So um, someone that I really respect is a gentleman named Christopher Lockhead, a uh, yeah. big proponent of content creation, has several different great podcasts, does a lot of written content through newsletters and um, web-based content that I think is a little bit different than my perspective, um, drives a ton of non-obvious thinking that challenges the way that people think. And the way that people, the way that dialogues happen inside of companies has definitely helped me throughout my career and the way that I think and how my company evolves. So I think that's a uh, a sound recommendation for someone to have on. Yeah, absolutely. I, I've, I've met him before and I'm suddenly realizing why on earth have I not invited him on? So yeah, thank you. What a great suggestion. Chris, thank you so much for um, coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate your time and it's been a fantastic conversation. Um, I'm sure that you would direct people to LinkedIn to connect with you. Am I right? <laughs> yeah, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, Chris Walker 171. I'm also Chris Walker 171 on TikTok. So feel free to reach out there as well. And then if you're interested in like getting involved in our content stream, you can sign up for our live events on uh, refinelabs.com. Brilliant. Okay. Well, I will add the links to all of that in the show notes as well. Um, so yeah, thank you. It's been a fantastic conversation. So it's been great to chat. Thanks for having me. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of B2B Content Strategist. Do let me know what you thought of our conversation by getting in touch with me on social media. You'll find Content 10X on all the social platforms or search for Amy Woods, CEO of Content 10X on LinkedIn. To find out more about streamlining your content marketing processes and specifically about content repurposing, check out our website, content10x.com, where you'll find information 
and resources that will help you achieve more with your content more efficiently. And if you're looking for a partner to outsource your content repurposing and distribution to, get in touch as we offer a world-class, fully end-to-end, done-for-you content repurposing service. Thanks again for listening to this episode and I'll catch you in the next one.